Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning. What a beautiful weekend we are having here in Colorado. It's going to be high 70s, close to 80 at my studios up here in Fort Collins. And it's going to be beautiful across the state. Even the mountains are going to be warm, but there'll still be ice fishing opportunities up in the mountains. And we talked quite a bit about those last week. Don't know if we'll get to talk much about them this week, but we're going to take you around the state and update you on conditions for fishing. We're going to talk some big game hunting. We're going to talk uh, getting ready for uh, turkey season and also getting ready for dog training for pheasants and things like that. We have a lot to cover. Um, We're going to take you to a couple of different parks and find out the current fishing conditions at those places. And I think things are ready to really rock and roll. And we're bringing back trivia. I know I've been telling you this, but starting next week, we will have a trivia question. So you need to follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook because Karen will post trivia quips from this is our 24th year on the air and Karen will post trivia from those 24 years on Facebook next Saturday there'll be a question and I believe we're giving away a $50 gift certificate so you may want to follow us on Facebook you'll know the answer you'll be able to answer promptly maybe you can win that gift certificate but let's get started let's go right to the phones joining us one of our favorite contributors and he's been out checking the state fly fishing and that's chris steinbeck from the blue quill angler good morning chris hey good morning terry how are you you know i'm doing great uh this weather is really turning i uh i i fish year round i i you know i do all types of fishing i do conventional i do fly fishing i do quite a bit of ice fishing i'm ready for summer fishing and i think right now with this weather I would think the fly anglers need to get out before we see some runoff start. Probably it's prime time right now, isn't it? Oh, man, Terry, this is the time. This is one of my favorite times of year. The sun's coming out. It's starting to get warmer. We have the whole summer ahead of us. Um, And as you mentioned, this season right now, from now until, you know, early mid-May when our runoff kicks off, there's just tremendous fly fishing opportunities all over Colorado. The fish are really getting fired up. Um, they're eating really hard. They're starting to move out of their winter holding patterns and starting to move into some shallower, quicker water. And uh, just great signs and great times to be out as a fly angler. Now, you did kind of a foray around the state, I believe, checking things out in addition to your normal home waters. Why don't you kind of take us around some areas and tell us what you found? Yeah, you know, so there's um, all over. We got the Colorado River is fishing great right now, uh, especially the lower sections down outside of Glenwood Springs, um, even further down towards the town of Newcastle. Uh, There's some great rainbows down there. Um, Fishing's really good. Um, And in that similar area, too, the Roaring Fork River, um, you know, flowing from Carbondale down towards Glenwood. And, Terry, I got to tell you, the fishing there is just so great right now, Um, as, as it is all over. You know, what we're starting to see out there is our first mayfly hatch of the year. And that mayfly here is a blue-winged olive. And usually once we start seeing the blue-winged olives, it's a tall tail sign. Spring is here. 
the fish are now they're starting to eat the bigger flies a little bit they're getting happier um and you're going to see those blue wings from you know south near durango all the way up north in steamboat on the yampa to out west on the frying pan and the taylor river and um over here in the south platte that blue wing olive is such an important bug for our fly anglers out there and uh and now's the time it shines Oh, you, you couldn't be more right. I mean, the fish are getting active, the water, and it's a great time. The water actually warms up a little bit during the day, and a lot of times you don't have to be on the river early or late. It's The fish are the most comfortable when you are. I love the Roaring Fork when the green drag hatch starts, which is later in the year, because I can see those flies better. They're big. But <laughs> with my bad eyes. Some of these little blue-wing olives, I have to put a two-fly setup to see where they're drifting. I have to put in a tractor or something ahead of them. But lots of tactics. But, you know, when you go to a river, like let's say you're going to the Roaring Fork right now, when you get there, um, in addition to just observing to what's going on, do you do a little, do you, do you test the water for bugs? Do you turn over a few rocks? Do you start with things tied on, or do you check the water and observe first? You know, it's always smart to check the water first. Um, a few of the things that we check for are, you know, water temperatures. Um, like you said, we'll flip over some rocks. We'll see some of the bugs on the bottom of the river that are really getting active in the um, whole water column. And and it's a good way of seeing, okay, what's in the river, and you match what flies you have to what you see in the river. And it sounds easy. Um, obviously, it could be a little bit more complex than that. Um, but right now, I could tell you, um, one of the one of great patterns to represent the blueing olive, especially the subsurface, subsurface fishing, excuse me, um, so not dry flies, but you're throwing nymphs. And this is where the classic pattern, like a pheasant tail, is going to catch you fish all over the place. So going, if I'm going to a river, I have in the back of my head, okay, I know I'm going to have some reliable flies that will work. And then when you flip over rocks, that would almost confirm the game plan you have set up for the day. Well, you know, I, I really couldn't agree with you more. And a lot of, especially early fly anglers, they don't know the names of all the flies. And they go to a shop, and you guys help hook them up. And hopefully it's like the blue quill angler, reputable, where you hook them up with a nice mix of flies. You never have enough. You never have exactly the one you want, right? But when you turn those rocks over and you see that bug, to me, the most important thing, what I'm looking for is size and color more than even the exact imitation. Is that How do you approach it? I think that's a great plan, Terry. Size and color is really important. Um, and I think more than I think size in the fly fishing world is super important. Um, there, we have several bugs that will have different shades of colors, um, but that size is going to stay really important. Um, and for you fly anglers out there right now, what you want to target is you want to target a size 18 or a size 20 fly, which is a small hook. Um, you know, it's not as small as what we get in the winter months, uh, but still relatively small. And as we start getting into the warmer seasons, you know, the Mays, the Junes, that fly size is going to bump up a size. So then you're going to start throwing 16s and 18s instead of 18s and 20s. Um, yeah. And, yeah. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say size is good. And then that color. Um, you know, a lot of times early season right now, I look for brown flies and olive. Those are my t probably two favorite colors right now. Yeah, and, you know, you're going to – you're going to learn and get better as you learn the flies and you learn the life cycle of the insects when you're fly fishing. But 
if you don't know the name of a fly, but it's in your box and it looks like it's a match to what you found on the river, go ahead and try it. Now, the fish don't know you don't know the name of the fly. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So what what other rivers have you checked out and what's going on? Yeah, so, um, you know, locally stuff, the South Platte's really starting to fish really good. Um, we have flows are still really low, um, but we're hoping, you know, as we get a little bit more snow here in April, those will start bumping up a little bit. But you're talking the Deckers area's fishing really good. 11 Mile Canyon's fishing great right now. Um, one thing anglers just need to be a little cautious of this time of year is we're seeing a lot of rainbows, Terry, that are spawning right now. Um, and you see that pretty prevalent up higher up on the South Platte on the Dream Stream. Um, and you see, and for you anglers out there, you'll see fish in really, really shallow water. Um, and usually you'll see a pair of fish together. And uh, that's the one thing just to be cautious of. Uh, but downstream of the fish that are spawning are just a ton of good fish. Uh, good browns. The browns are getting, you know, browns aren't usually the most favorable fish in the winter because they're brown trout. Uh, but in the summer months, as the water warms up, they're really way more active. And the amount of brown trout we're seeing active right now is just incredibly, incredibly strong. Well, and a lot of times they're in there uh, chasing those rainbow eggs. They're eating those eggs. An egg pattern can be a great one to throw a lot of times this time of the year. Any other rivers you've seen or heard or been to in the last you know week or coming going forward that you think maybe are going to really, really take off? Uh, you know what? The Arkansas River. The Arkansas River, whether you're going to go up near Buena Vista or down to Salida or Canyon City or even below Pueblo, but the entire drainage of the Arkansas is another tremendous spring option. Um, it's, I, I personally love up near Salida. I think that area of Colorado is so beautiful. Um, the flows right now, um, they're still a little low on the Arkansas, but that's great for people who don't have a boat and you're walk wading it. Um, you can access a lot of different parts of the Arkansas right now. Um, the bluing alls are going pretty crazy right down there right now, too. Um, and what's nice about the Arkansas, it's a bigger river and your flies are bigger, too. So then right now in the Arkansas, if I was in Salida, size 16 pheasant tail would be really hard to beat. And, you know, we're coming off a couple of years ago. We had another drought year. And uh, for two or three years after those drought years, the fish on the Arkansas River, which is mostly brown trout, go through a growth spurt, and we end up with bigger fish for quite some time, and it really makes that fishery healthy. So if we get reasonable flows, I think not only are you going to have active fish, but you're going to have bigger fish than normal. That's what showed up last year, and I think that will continue, continue this year through the Arkansas. How long, looking at some of these rivers like the Arkansas and like, you know, of course the, a lot of the Decker stuff is dam-controlled, how long do we have before we start to see maybe some runoff starting to change how we fish? You know, it's a uh, on bigger freestone rivers like the Arkansas and like the Colorado River, if we have these nice stretches of weather, we can get a little of that premature runoff, which will throw a little of the water stain, you know, it won't be crystal clear, it'll be a little cloudy in the river. Um, it's really so much weather dependent, but if we get a traditional April where we have really nice weather mixed in with some good storms, I'd imagine by the end of this month into early May is when we're going to start seeing some big increases in our rivers. And, and how do you usually by mid-May. How do you change your tactics as the water change? Now, people, a lot of people just go fish still water, and I know you and I will talk about that as we get down the road because fishing the lakes during that time can be a and ponds can be a tremendous way 
to keep fly fishing, but you can still fish the rivers. The fish don't quit eating. You just have to change your tactics a little bit, right? It, you do, and sometimes it makes it even easier for fly anglers. Um, a lot of times when that river starts coming up and starts getting a little cloudy, those fishes will get pushed towards the edges a little bit more. They're going to find that soft water, and they're going to be looking for bigger stuff. And so you want big stuff that they're going to see. So you're throwing big worms and stone flies and um, you're not really wading too far in the river. You're working a lot of the soft edges. And uh, I think runoff is a really overlooked time period in the fly world. And I think it's uh can be really awesome time to hit the river. And you're not going to see as many people fishing when the river's really high and muddy. But the fish still need to eat, and they're still in there. Right. They don't. They can't quit eating. I mean, the water's still getting warmer, and their metabolism is picking up. It's just you have to approach them a little differently. You know, getting them, finding their changed location and making your presentation visible to them are, are things that, you know, people will go there, you know, you can't throw a 22 midge down in the middle of this riffle because nothing's going to find it. You're absolutely right. I think all year long to tell you the truth, I think a lot of fly anglers in Colorado cast over fish. They're too anxious to get to that, the middle of the stream. A lot of times year round, there's great fishing right by the edges and you don't have to make a 30 foot cast or a 40 foot cast. Uh, you're dead on. And as we teach people, we go through our classes. That's one of the things we preach is, you know, the grass always seems greener on the other side, right? But as you work a river and you start dissecting and you're hitting every little shoot of water, you're going to see your fish counts start jumping up dramatically for you. Speaking of classes, there's a lot of people getting into the outdoors. We saw this surge because of COVID last year where People either went back to the outdoors doing things they hadn't done in years or started taking up things they hadn't ever done before. And fly fishing was a very popular one. But fly fishing is one that intimidates people a little bit. Not that it should. People should get out and try it. It's a wonderful way to enjoy the outdoors. But sometimes they need a little help. Do you guys have a good array of classes coming up to help people? Oh, we do. We run um, our 101 class, which is taught by a gentleman named Kerry Carriger, who has deep orvis ties in the fly fishing world. And we run these classes once a week. And we limit to a max of six people per class. And we have two different guides, Kerry and another guide who teaches the class. And what it entails is it's a Thursday night here at our shop from about 6 to 8.30. And you learn how to cast and set up the rods and all that fun details. And then on Saturday, you spend the whole day on the river with your guides. And they're teaching you where the fish are, how to fish around a lot of other people on the river, and the etiquette behind fly fishing. And we teach you how to fish the different rigs and basically everything you need to know to be self-sufficient on your own after the class. In fact, I recommend people take a guided trip or a class before they even buy gear so you kind of know what you're getting. And unfortunately, we've gotten to the point now where you don't have to spend $1,000. You can get some pretty good fly rod setups for in that two $250 range and really something you can fish with for your life. Um, if people want to get a hold of you, Chris, how do they get more information both on the shop, information about you guys, you're always posting reports, and find about your trips and your classes? You bet. The best way to find us is you can find us on the Internet at www.blue.com quillangler.com um, you can give our shop a call as well that number is 303-674-4700 
and we're here to help. We're here if you have questions on, hey, I'm going to go fish the Arkansas River, but I'm not sure exactly what flies to get. We'll point you in the right direction. If you have questions on any of the classes we have throughout the season, happy to answer those two to really make sure it's the right fit and exactly what you're looking to get out of the class. 30 seconds because we're out of time. What about right here in town, Clear Creek and Bear Creek and some of those? Any good opportunities there right now? Yeah, Bear Creek still fit. You know, the flows are really, really low on Bear Creek. Um, I would recommend Clear Creek. The ice shelves are really dissipating quick on uh, Clear Creek all the way up from up high down through Golden. Uh, the fishing can be great when you only have a few hours to go. Go up near Idaho Springs. Um, the fishing there is incredible. They've done a lot of restoration work on Clear Creek. Um, and Waterton Canyon, Terry, right above Chaffield Reservoir. Waterton is a great spring option as well, and you don't have to drive far, and, um, and it's a great place to bring the family as well. All right, my friend, we're out of time. Blue Quill Angler, Chris Steinbeck, great, con- great contributor, great information, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you, Terry. You have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. You bet. That's Chris Steinbeck. We'll take a quick time out. We come back, we're going to take you down to Pueblo Reservoir and find out about how the walleye spawn went, what the fishing and water conditions are there. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. 65 years of serving the outdoor public up and down the front range of Colorado. Stop by and check them out. You'll find they can take care of all your outdoor needs. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Carrie Tucker. Good morning, Carrie. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm looking out my studio window. The sun is shining. You're calling us from down in Pueblo, I assume. What's the weather like down there? Oh, it's bright and sunny, and it's supposed to be almost 80 degrees down here today. Yeah, it's supposed to be great all over the state, I think. You know, there's a lot of people new to the outdoors, new to the state. Why don't you quickly tell them where Pueblo Reservoir is located? So Pueblo Reservoir is located just west of the town of Pueblo um, along Highway 96. And uh, it's a 4,800-acre lake um, located within Lake Pueblo State Park. And the park itself has a huge landmass, which has trails and and some hunting opportunities, and there's uh, tremendous fishing. We're going to talk about the fishing and the walleye spawn in particular here in just a minute, but there's uh, great boating activity down there that's open year-round. What are the water levels like down there? Right now, they're approximately down uh, nine feet from full pool, but still plenty of water out there, and uh, we're um, the busiest state park in in Colorado. And you have year-round camping there, too. We didn't mention that. I also think Pueblo is one of the premier fisheries in Colorado. And being a biologist down there, I would assume you probably agree with that. Is that right? (laughs) Yes, I do tend to have a bias towards Pueblo since I manage that reservoir. But it really is uh, just a tremendous fishery. And just recently, we had the walleye spawn there. And over the last year or two, because of COVID, they're doing it a little different. They haven't had uh, volunteers because of, you know, spreading COVID. And they've limited the number of lakes. And I know last year they came up maybe a little bit short, but did okay. How did the walleye spawn go this year, Pueblo in particular, and then overall? Yeah, like you said, Terry, last year we weren't able to conduct operations. We were shut down after one day, um, which was pretty disappointing, but... 
the three broodwaters, Cherry Creek, Chatfield, and Pueblo Reservoir, all got stocked with um, fish, and no other reservoirs in the state had walleye. But um, this year, we were able to conduct operations at a reduced capacity without as many volunteers. And due to staff constraints in the Northeast region, they only conducted operations at Cherry Creek Reservoir instead of Cherry Creek and Chatfield. And then we did our operation down here in Pueblo, and it was phenomenal. Yeah, that's you and I talked earlier, and you've had a record take at Pueblo. Is that right? Yes. So the first year that walleye were spawned at Pueblo Reservoir was 1988, and they took 140 million eggs that year. And this year in 2021, we collected just shy of 90 million. We had 89.9 million and some change. And uh, that is the second highest egg take at Pueblo ever. Wow. And so how did we come out when you add, uh, do you know how we came out when you add Cherry Creek into that as far as what we were looking for this year? Yeah, our statewide goal this year was about $120 million, and that included a few out-of-state trades. But um, with Cherry Creek getting around $40 million, we actually exceeded our goal and collected about $130 million. And some of those extra fish are going to go towards um, Oklahoma and Texas, who seem to be really excited about receiving those walleye from us. And those are some of the states that we get um, other fish from, in particular, wiper. Yeah, we've always, you know, used the walleyes as kind of a little bit of trade when we have extra. So sounds like we're going to meet all our our planned stocking aids uh, uh, goals in the state and and exceed that. And when I look at the take you had down in Pueblo, that bodes for me telling me that fishery has to be really healthy. How were the numbers and size of fish? Um, Terry, it was insane. We had record numbers of females, record numbers of males. We had to keep kicking fish out of the boathouse because we just didn't have room. Um, There was one day that we were holding um, 500 greens, and greens are females that have eggs, but the eggs aren't ready to come out of the female yet. Um, And it was just phenomenal. I have never seen that many fish before, and they were all good size too. We had a lot of really large fish. we had several over 27 inches. I think the biggest one this year was 30, 31 inches and close to 15 pounds. Wow. And, you know, you hear over and over again a lot of walleye anglers. They go down to Pueblo, and especially they go after the spawn and the post-spawn area or summer peak, and they catch a lot of 17-inch fish. And they go, well, I can't catch a keeper there. Well, there's two things going on. You can correct me if I'm wrong. You're the biologist, first of all. Most of those fish they're catching are those very aggressive males that are easier to catch, and they get they don't get much bigger than 18 inches, and they get culled down early in the year. But then the big females, and there's a number of big fish in Pueblo, they're still there, but their habits are different, aren't they? Yes, very different. Um, the females, especially after the spawn and as the water warms up, they tend to go deep, so you have to work a little harder to catch those bigger fish. But like you said, those uh, smaller fish are typically males that are aggressive and uh, wanting to feed more voraciously than the females do. I think what happens is people are, they're catching, you, I, you know, I've had 50, 60 fish days if I'm just trying to catch fish down there when, when those summer peak, when those aggressive males. And people think, well, 
if I keep fishing, eventually I'll get a big one. Well, probably not. The big ones are probably somewhere else, and you got to take a different tactic. But it sounds like that fishery, I can tell your enthusiasm is extremely healthy, and the walleye fishing should be incredible, both for numbers and big fish this year. Yes, um, for walleye and all species. Uh, bass fishing is still a little slow, but it should pick up in the next month or so as the water continues to warm. Um, we didn't catch any wipers in the nets yet this year. Uh, we hit our egg goal just a little early than we normally end, and the water temps had stayed fairly consistent throughout the spawn, so those um, other fish didn't come in during that warm water. Now, another fish down there that you expect to do well this year is the crappies. I've had some great crappie fishing. In fact, there's a video on my YouTube channel of a television show I did crappie fishing a few years ago at Pueblo. You're expecting a lot of big crappies, you were telling me. Yes. Um, the crappie fishing should remain excellent at Pueblo with fish regularly over 10 inches, which is the new size restriction. Um, you can only keep 10 fish from Pueblo, minimum size of 10 inches. But we caught two in the gillnets um, that were 11, 12 inches, I believe. And so I should expect plenty of good slabs to come out of there this year. And when, when do the crappies start moving shallow to spawn? Or is that started yet, or are they in pre-spawn? Is that what they're doing? Yeah, it's still a little cold for the crappie to start spawning, but that should heat up very soon, especially with the um, extended forecast showing that we're regularly having temperatures over 70 degrees. That should warm the, weather up, or the water up nicely, and uh, those crappie will start spawning and moving into the shallows and be more vulnerable to catching. It sounds like you're pretty excited about the lake. I've always thought it was the premier fishery, especially for diversity in this state. And there's really good trout fishing there, too. That gets overlooked at times. I've caught some huge trout in that lake. But it sounds like you think the bass are going to be really good and the wipers will come on. It just And the walleyes are already there. So it sounds like it's just going to be a great year to get down to Pueblo and fish. Yes, definitely. Um, just another note, early on in the spawn, that's when the rainbows had started spawning. And it was insane, the number of large trout that we caught. The biggest one that we weighed was 8 pounds, 6 ounces, and it went back into the reservoir. So uh, the trout fishing is going to get a little harder as the water warms up, but there's still plenty of huge trout in there as well. Second biggest trout I ever caught in Colorado came out of Pueblo on a rattle trap while I was bass fishing. There is some tremendous fish there. Carrie, thanks so much for joining us. Your enthusiasm is contagious. I can't wait to get back down to Pueblo and fish. Sounds great. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks. Thanks, Carrie. Carrie Tucker, the biologist from down there. Pueblo is going to be an awesome resource this year, folks. You've got to take advantage of it. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. I tell you what, you want to pay attention because next week we're going to give away a $50 gift card to Jack's on our trivia, which the answer will be on our Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook during the week this week. So you want to follow that. Let's go right to the phones right now. Joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is Travis Duncan. Good morning, Travis. Hey, morning, Terry. Isn't that a beautiful day in Colorado? It is. It is nice out right now. It's hard to believe we're going to be talking about big game hunting right now because it seems like we're just getting into spring, but we're up against the deadline. If you're trying to get into the draw for big game, you have till I believe, Tuesday at 8 o'clock. Is that right? 
That's right. Now's the time. So April 6th at, at 8 o'clock Mountain Time is the deadline to get your application in for the big game draw. Uh, just a reminder to folks that the change from from the time that it was a couple years ago. It was midnight a few years ago, so now it's 8 p.m., so don't uh, don't think you can wait till that, that midnight hour to, to get in there. You want to get in early, get your application in early, make sure you – you're you're ready to go for the coming hunting season. Well, you're absolutely right. You know, there's so many things that can go wrong if you wait till the very last minute. Um, your your internet could go down. I mean, the per- person trying to apply, their computer could lock up. You could get so many people trying to get on that even your system at Parks and Wildlife could bog down. You never know. Get it done early. Um, there's some changes that went on in the last couple of years. Uh, as far as do you need a qualifying license or anything new there that we should be telling people? Yeah, that's that's uh, definitely a change we've had since um, the commission voted that in in November 2018. Um, just a reminder to folks, um, it's similar to what other Western states uh, do um, as far as requiring customers to purchase a base hunting license prior to applying for the draw. Uh, so basically that means you'll need to get a, a license, like a small game license, um, so uh, it'll be, probably be either a small game or a spring turkey license. Uh, residents of Colorado can get the small game fishing combo license. That qualifies um, all, all non-residents who, who, who get a big game license. That includes an annual fishing license. So um, just a reminder that you do need that qualifying license to apply uh, for the big game draw. Well, and I think one of the reasons for that, first of all, you eliminated some of the charges that went into applying and before it used to actually cost you money if people, you know, didn't draw or, you know, they, apl- they applied just to get points. Now you still have at least a revenue stream, but they get a value for it. And I think it's a great way to handle it. Seems to work out really well. I know you've also, for the secondary draw, added um, fall turkey as a qualifier. Before we get on to that secondary draw, though, there's a lot of resources. If, if people are just struggling right now, we're going to get a lot of new hunters, a lot of people that haven't hunted in a while, people have turned to the outdoors. In fact, first, have you had any indication what the numbers are looking like right now for the draw? So I, you know, last year we did see, see an increase. I think right now we're, we're, um, you know, we're a little below what we were last year, but we're also not, not at the deadline yet. Then I think a lot of people come in at the last minute. So, um, so we'll see. We'll see where it ends up. I don't know if we'll, we'll end up right about where we were last year, if we'll see another increase. Um, you know, we didn't know last year, Terry, what was going to happen. Um, you know, right around this time was was right when the, the pandemic was really getting going. So we didn't know uh, if we'd see more or less. We did see more people uh, apply last year. So we may see that again this year. I think we'll have to wait and see. Well, people are still trying to figure it out or if they're having trouble. There's a lot of resources available, aren't there? There are, yeah. If you go to our website right now, you know, the main top image is, is all about the, the big game draw. You can click on there, um, you know, get your get your application in. You can start to look at stuff like the Colorado Hunting Atlas, uh, you know, start to look at some of those resources, think about where you might want to apply this year, where you might want to hunt. But, yeah, tons of resources on our website. And this, the brochure has a lot of information. Your Your online maps have harvest information to help you pick out units. And there still is the call center, the help center, where people can call in and have somebody walk them through it because some people just need that personal touch. That's still there. Take advantage of it. Do it right, folks, and make sure you get what you want. 
Now, if you don't draw in the primary draw, or even if you were, weren't in the primary draw, this changed, I think, a year or two ago. Now almost all those licenses go into a secondary draw. Is that right? That's right. We do have, we do have a secondary draw. It, it replaces what was known as the, the leftover draw a few years ago, but that's, that's exactly right. Um, so what still applies? Well, let's see. What's what's new? What still applies? What's different is that the new system will mean increased opportunity. It's um, especially for youth hunters. If you're a youth hunter, get into that secondary draw. They really give preference to those youth hunters in that secondary draw. Um, and also, uh, we also are offering deer and elk licenses uh, um, through there. So the secondary draw is really a great opportunity. Uh, definitely encourage folks to do that. But but you know, right now we're we're sure in, encouraging folks to get in for that for that primary job because they're up against the deadline. If you want that dream hunt in Colorado, now's the time. Um, yeah, you've got Tuesday at 8. Tuesday at 8, that's right. Yeah. I know another thing before we run out of time you really wanted to bring up. There is a change this year where we're going to have mandatory uh, chronic wasting disease testing on elk. Is that right? Right, yeah. Uh, certain certain uh, game units will have will – have, uh, uh, chronic wasting disease testing on elk, um, as well as mule deer, uh, but but this is a change to to require some units for for elk. So uh, just be aware that that's coming, and that's that's going to be a huge help to us. You know, this this year we finally had basically tested the whole state and had a sense of what our our prevalence or infection levels are of CWD uh, all around the state. So if you look at that big game brochure this year, uh, there's a map in there in the in the mule deer section where you can see what the infection rates are all around the state. Uh, and that's something that in years past, you know, we just didn't have the sample size to be able to say with certainty what the infection levels were. So there's a map in there for elk as well. And you'll see that, um, you know, there are some areas shaded in and some that aren't. And wh- what that means for folks is not that just those areas that are shaded in are, are the hot spots necessarily right now. It just means that's all we know. We need uh, the, you know, those samples uh, from, from this year to, to, get that same level of knowledge so that we know where the hotspots are and can start can start taking action to lower the infection rates. Yeah, you really need a baseline. Like you said, you've established a baseline with the mule deer, and you're pretty confident in your information, but really haven't done enough testing of elk. And, you know, the other thing, Travis, I think just getting your, your elk tested gives you a little more. There's been no known transmission of the disease, but I think people have more peace of mind if they get it tested, don't you? Yeah, definitely. You know the the, the CDC guidelines that the, the are, are to not eat the if you know elk or uh, meat that you know is infected with chronic wasting disease. There there is has been no known uh, transmission from 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 deer to humans. But but just to be safe, we encourage folks to to not eat that meat if you find out it has been infected. When of course we want we'd be remiss if we didn't mention it for some reason. You can't get into the draw, or you don't draw where you want it, even though they're in the first or the secondary draw. Um, there is over-the-counter for elk in Colorado. We're one of the few states that actually have that. So there's still a lot of great hunting opportunities, even if you don't draw, aren't there? There are, definitely, yeah. If, if you don't get don't get what you're looking for in the primary draw, where you have over-the-counter licenses, um, lot you know a lot of other opportunities. Get into that secondary draw, get in, get or look at our over-the-counter license options. There's still going to be a lot of great opportunities to hunt in Colorado this year. All right. Any last comments before we let you go, Travis? Um, I, I think that's it, Terry. I appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, just people remember, April 6th, 8 o'clock, 
8 o'clock April 6th. That's Tuesday. If you're going to be in the draw, you need to be in there. Travis, thank you so much for coming on, and we'll get people, make sure they're motivated. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Terry. You bet. Travis Duncan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Oh, by the way, we're going to have another park up here in just a few minutes. We come back. We're going to take you to Horsetooth. But I want to remind you also that Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Locations up and down the Front Range. They've got Fort Collins, Loveland, uh, Broomfield, Lafayette, and even Cheyenne. If you're if you're an outdoor enthusiast and you haven't been into a Jack's, check them out. Terry Wickstrom, you're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones. Joining us, a good friend of the show, a good friend of mine, Mark Coughlin. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me on. No, always great to have you on. You manage a great facility here in Colorado. And of course, you're part of the whole Lermer Parks County Park System, which has a number of great facilities. And you guys just recently opened your boat ramp, so I thought we'd kind of tell people what's going on. Maybe just real quickly, tell people where your park is, parks are located, Mark, in case they're new to the area. You know, we're in northern Colorado along the Front Range. Um, Carter Lake is just west of Loveland, Colorado, then Horsetooth Reservoir is just west of Fort Collins. And also above Carter Lake, we have Flatiron Reservoir and Pinewood Reservoir. Then we have a lot of other parks. Um, Hermit Park, for example, up in Estes Park um, has campgrounds and cabins and hiking up there. And then we just, between really the Wyoming border all the way down to the, the, the Boulder County border, we have open spaces and many, many miles of trails and open spaces for people to enjoy as well. The best way for people to is just go to the Larimer County uh, website, and <clears throat> they can see all the properties. But you just recently opened the boat ramps, so I thought we'd uh, talk about that. What, are, what kind of hours are you looking at on the boat ramps, and have there been any changes? You know, our traditional boating season is usually, it's always April 1st to the last Sunday, November. You know, we start out kind of slow. We, we open around 7 a.m., uh, this time of year, and then we'll start opening at 6 a.m. As, as time goes on. Again, the best way to get the up-to-date boat ramp hours is go to our website. Like you said, at lambert.org slash natural resources. We're open seven days a week. Not all of our ramps are open, and those kind of kind of phase in as the summer gets busier. We'll phase in those ramps. So that's that's the best way to go. You know, if, it, if it's going to snow um, or, or be icy on our ramps, this time of year, chances are we're going to close. So just make sure that people are aware of that. You know, with the boating season starting, we always um, – caution everybody you know to make sure your boat has been de-winterized your plugs in um and all that to make sure you're ready for the season you know the water temperature is really cold i mean the water temperature yesterday at horse tooth reservoir was 39 degrees so um you know we're in pfds are not mandatory unless you're 12 or under but we still recommend any adults we see a lot of guys you know this time of year our biggest boating um participants right now are fishermen we see those guys stand on the deck of their boat their bass boat or whatever um they're not wearing a life jacket but you know as you know with the trolling motor and getting used to the boating this year it's easier for someone to fall off and then 39 degree waters you know um, hyperthermia drowning sets in within five minutes so we caution people well, on that as well well it can happen to anybody too i um, ask our good friend chad lachance and <clears throat> people don't understand how difficult it is to recover and get back on your boat and the, the you first you get that initial shock when you hit then you take a breath and then you have just a couple minutes before you start cramping up from hypothermia or from and it does it sets in so quickly in cold water and you know in today's world we have i have a pair of the inflatable suspenders and i've only been in the water once and i was in a kayak and i was i kind of pushed the limits and i flipped the kayak 
But those suspenders, I tell you what, I found myself down in about 10 feet of water, and all of a sudden those inflated, and I came up like a bobber. I, I don't know what would happen if I wasn't wearing them, Mark. Especially in cold water, we had that mammalian reflex when you get that cold water. I grew up on the coast surfing, so I know what it's like to jump in very cold water, 40-some degree water. It takes your breath away, and it kind of stuns you a little bit. If you're not used to that or prepared for it, one, you have the shock of falling in, you're kind of disoriented, and second is you have that water effect. So you're absolutely right. I mean, they're not, they're not cheap. I mean, they're about 150 bucks for, for the auto-inflate ones, which I recommend because if you do hit your head or you don't have your sensibility, because most people aren't practicing pulling that, pulling that string to inflate the life jacket. Um, it's, cheap, it's cheap insurance, in my opinion. So um, I highly recommend that for anybody. That's what our boat patrol guys wear. Uh, they're highly effective. Um, we use the Mustang brand, um, and we seem to we had good success with those. So, and that's my. And, unfor- and unfortunately, a huge percentage of the drownings in Colorado, people aren't wearing personal flotation devices, and and they will save your life. I mean, they just will. It just don't overestimate your ability to maneuver in cold water or even get back in the boat. I mean, it's you probably won't. And if there isn't somebody with you to pull you out, you're probably going to be in big trouble. And happens every year in the spring, so let's try to prevent that, especially with uh, a lot of new people out. Mark, you did make, uh, first of all, water conditions. What are the water levels at Horse Tooth, and what do you expect? You know, I'll start with Car Lake real quick, because they're almost full, and they'll stay, stay fairly high throughout the year. Horse Tooth Reservoir gets filled after Carter Lake, so we're filling up now. We expect to be about the latest projections have us about starting about somewhere around 15 feet below full, um, which on, on a 66-year history of our the reservoir, that, that, that's average, somewhere in that spot. So we'll be at an average fill. You know, it's always hard to tell. We're still going to get some more snow. It depends on how fast runoff comes, how much evacuation. There's, there's so many things that, that contribute to, you know, how much water we're going to get in. But somewhere in there is probably a good general guess. I think it'll we'll, we'll stay probably – Outlook, I think it's an average water year. There's still a lot of things going on up in the burn areas, up in Ground County and Larimer County. They're going to really dictate about how much water they're going to be able to move as far as that, that impacts the fire going to be. I think we're going to see that along the front ranges, all the fires we had last year and how, how runoff affects that. Yeah, I think I think we're all kind of holding our breath about those burn areas. Uh, so much of our water in the northern part of the state here comes through those drainages that it could have a much bigger impact than people think, especially if we get runoff that comes really suddenly with a lot of warm weather so we'll have to watch that or big rainstorms one other thing i know you instituted a change at the reservoir i think you want to tell people about it you've had just a tremendous number of paddle craft out there and it's uh you've done something to kind of give them an isolated place tell us about that we do i think everybody who boats understands the the rise in, in paddle sports in the last five to eight years and we, we doubled the amount of stand-up paddle boards and other craft we have on our reservoirs, just like anywhere around the country. And so it's, it's causing some user conflicts, causing some safety issues. So if you're familiar with Horse Tooth Reservoir, the farthest north cove on the west side is Satanka Cove. And what we did was we didn't eliminate boating access to Satanka Cove, just the, the west half to, to give a buffer, because that is to the, to the stand-up paddle boarders and the kayakers, because that is by far our busiest area on our reservoir. And Horse Tooth Reservoir is the third busiest reservoir in the state of Colorado. Um, Chatfield's number two, then Pueblo will be number one for boating. And so we, we just see that high impact. And we're so close to Fort Collins, a highly populated area. So trying to give the impact. You know, and Terry, you know me a long time. I've, I've fished my whole life. I've hunted my whole life. I'm an advocate for boating. What Horse Tooth Reservoir wants to be is a, a, a motorboat reservoir. It's not meant for um, a primary use as, as, as for stand-up paddle boards and kayaks. I am hypersensitive to that fact. And this is the first time we've ever eliminated 
even though it's a very, very small area, um, there's going to be some issues with, with fishermen. I understand that because that, that west shoreline right now in the spring and through spawn is, um, is good for smallmouth bass fishing. So I know some of the fishing public is not happy with that decision, but the overall safety the families that we do have up there, the, the overwhelming majority of the folks I think will, 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 will like that. But I'm, I'm very sensitive to that fact, and um, it's just a decision we had to make. We should have made it you know, three or four years ago, but we're finally going down that road now. All right, Mark, any last comments? we got to let you go, but I appreciate you coming on, giving us the changes and updating us. It's a great resource, obviously very close to my home that I use a lot, and you, you, you guys have always been welcoming and taking care of me. So thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thank you for your time, Terry. You bet. Mark Coughlin just uh, manages those areas and a great update. You know, we're going to have more and more people are using the outdoors. We're going to have to find ways to coexist. And uh, it's going to be some struggles at some places for a while. We'll see how this all plays out. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back. Nate Zielinski will join us. And we're going to we had a texter ask a question. We're going to get to that, too. All that and more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. 